I want you to think about how much life has changed in the last 10 years, professionally, technologically, politically, globally, in your relationships. Think about how much change you have experienced, how different life is. Well, for the last 10 consecutive years, Keeley Companies has been named a top workplace by St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Their most important assets are their people, also known as the Keelians, and are credited as the backbone of their business. You can learn more about the Keeley Company's dedication to their employees by visiting KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Hi, this is producer Amy, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John will be on in just a minute, but first I'm going to introduce today's guest. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Waldo Waldman is a Hall of Fame leadership speaker, New York Times bestselling author of Never Fly Solo, and self-proclaimed courage monger, a term I just love, especially in today's marketplace. After overcoming his massive claustrophobia and fear of heights, Waldo became a highly experienced and decorated combat veteran with over 2,650 flight hours and 65 real-world combat missions. Today, you're going to hear Waldo share tools and techniques to overcome obstacles, break performance barriers, and take charge during times of change. This episode is going to leave you ready to recommit yourself to excellence, to prepare diligently for every single mission, and collaborate with others through trust, mutual support, and courage. Now, here's John O'Leary. Lieutenant Colonel Rob Waldo Waldman, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Great to be here, John. Matt, hey, listen, I told you before we hit record that I have been following in your footsteps professionally and been looking up to you, not only because you're an F-16 in your past, but because of your influence in our community of speakers. When you are sidelined at one of your son's soccer games, okay, so you're cheering on a Saturday afternoon somewhere, and someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm John, what's your name? And you introduce yourself. And then you, they say to you, what do you do professionally? How do you respond to that? It's a great question because many of us, you know, we're professional speakers and coaches and inspires, especially as you get older and you find more meaning and quote unquote experience success. You're like, well, what is it that I really do? What is it that, that what I call brings meaning to your mission? And I, I like to call myself a courage monger. You know, there's fear mongers, but then there's courage mongers. And I think I'm a champion for courage. I'm a champion for folks who want to take action in their life, who feel debilitated by fear and doubt and uncertainty. And I get them to release the brakes, both individually and as a team. At the end of the day, I believe it's all about action. And the actions that we take are far more important than the philosophies that we make. Mm, courage monger. In a marketplace of fear mongering, this sets you apart, Waldo. So I, I want to go through the story of how you became a courage monger. And uh, it, it doesn't begin in Georgia. It begins way up in New York, New York. Talk about your, your family of upbringing. 
My dad was a blue-collar mechanic at Kennedy Airport, New York City, 40-plus uh, years. Was always big about the ethics and the, the integrity and do it right the first time and be careful who you spend time with on the weekends. And, uh, you know, the work ethic was so important. And the same thing with my mom, uh, also old school. You know, their parents were immigrants from Russia and Poland. And it was, it was a tough childhood in that there was a lot of discipline, but we all had dinner around the family table. Right. There was arguing and yelling. It was very loud and bolsterous. You know, it was a Jewish family. But I thank my family for the faith that they instilled in us. And so that was very, very instrumental. It's something that I try to do now with my 10 year old boy and I try to do with my in my community. So just loved my parents, loved the discipline, loved the work ethic that they instilled in us. But my dad never really went to my baseball games. He was a workaholic. Um, my mom was stressed out raising all the kids, basically. And so there were some lessons there carved in, in, uh, and with scars, right? Uh, and that I tried to learn from as far as now with my son. Now he, you mentioned soccer. I make all the soccer games when I'm home. I'm going on the first daddy son trip this weekend. I'm taking him fishing, uh, in Clearwater, Florida. We're going to go to a, uh, a client's beach and I said, you're going to do everything that daddy does, son. You're getting up with me. We're working out. You're going to do my sound check. You're going to be sitting at the table with me. I want you to experience that while I love my work, even though when I'm not speaking, we're, we're always on parade, as George Patton said, and we need to need to emulate uh, wingman and trusted partner 24-7. You know, one, one of the coolest things I, I, I began doing now five years ago is taking my kids with me one at a time. I have four kids, Waldo. Yep. on a daddy trip and they get up for the sound checks and they walk the halls with me and they meet the individuals before after before and during and afterwards and see the work we're doing and it perhaps more than anything else i do professionally at least is what draws us together me toward them of course absolutely but also when i'm gone now they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it right. and i know you're a big why guy so we'll come back to that here in a moment you mentioned your dad the disciplinarian you mentioned that he came home smelling like jet fuel uh, I understand now you probably love the smell of jet fuel. Back then, when your daddy came home with dirty hands, did you like the way he smelled? Did you like the way he looked? Did you like the job he did? 100%, yeah. I, I, when he took me to the airport the first time and I, I saw those floating birds and smelled the jet fuel, it was kerosene back then. It was very, very, you know, it stuck to your clothes a lot different than it was today. Uh, and uh, he put me in that plane and I started to play with the switches and he's like, I said, dad, what's this place? He's like, it's the cockpit. It's where the pilot flies the plane. And then I knew I didn't want to fix the planes like my dad. I wanted to fly them, but I had something called a massive fear of heights that uh, uh, was a big, big uh, impediment to me pursuing that career. I, I wouldn't go on Space Mountain at Disney World. My twin brother would make fun of me all the time. I would be at the, at the uh, you know, community pool on the 10 foot diving board, 10 feet, I, I would walk down, I was afraid. Uh, and so that was my first fear that I had a hurdle uh, because when you, in order to graduate the Air Force Academy, you got to jump off this 33 feet high diving board with a 35 pound pack. And uh, before we even get to the diving board, there's another piece of flying. Typically to fly, you leave the ground. You know, like the, the whole concept and construct around this kid from New York with a mechanic dad who wants to become a pilot himself, who's terrified to climb 10 feet, let alone 35 to jump, let alone 35,000 to soar. Right. I'm curious, why, why did you think it was even possible for you to, you know, to not only get on the ride at, at, 
at Space Mountain, but eventually to head out to Colorado and become a pilot yourself. So I have a saying, you know, your passion has to be greater than your fear. Your passion, your drive, your thrill of the future has to be greater than the, than the, the anxiety of the fear. And so you need to elevate that, that passion, which to me is like being willing to do anything. I'm passionate about flying and jets, but I'm also passionate about dogs. I love animals. I, we have a great day in upstairs. I was telling you before, I, my wife and I are lunatics about, about dogs, but I don't care what kind of dog you have, where you are. I am jumping on that dog, wherever it is, I'm kissing it. I love big dogs in particular. Uh, and so I'm disconnected with the outcome. I'm disconnected with what others are going to think of me. I'm present and I'm doing whatever I can to get around that joy. So some people are like, well, it's a great Dane or it's a pit bull or whatever. There's some, you know, the big dogs, there's going to be some fear. So part of it is just focusing on the joy, the thrill, the love yeah. and elevating the music of joy and, and relegating and diminishing the music or the, the noise of fear amplifying the music of joy minimizing the noise of fear so for anybody who's listening to this you may have a, a fear of heights uh we'll talk about my claustrophobia a little bit later you've got to find something that drives you a compelling why that meaning to the mission that'll get you off that 30 foot high diving 33 foot high diving board or get you in the aircraft to face your fears to dodge the missiles or whatever uh that's that's part of it but You've got to have passion and be willing to do whatever it takes to experience the joy that's going to come if you pursue that passion. You're the son of immigrants. You're the son of a, a blue collar mechanic at JFK Airport. D did you think that you belonged with these top guns, with these these ace pilots coming into the Air Force Academy, and then ultimately graduating and soaring? Did you feel like, you know what, I, I've got the medal? I felt that I was worthy of that. There's always going to be some doubt because when you're around peak performance, you know, you go to the Air Force Academy, then you go to pilot training, then you go to F-16 training. There's a 33% washout rate on average. They say, when you go to the Academy, look to your left and right, one of you is not making it through. You, it's just a fact, 33% washout. And then when you get to the higher levels, now you're competing against much stronger men and women, much, you know, more discipline and skill. And I, I, I was a good fighter pilot. But I wasn't great. I was a, I was a great instructor because I taught pilot training and instructor training as well. I, I felt that I was great at that, but I never let somebody else put a, a, a notion of fear in me. I respected the ones who were better than me. I befriended them. I wanted to be around them. Rob Kosciuszko, uh, Kaz is his name, was my best friend in the Air Force fighter, fighter community. He was kind of a nerdy guy, MIT undergrad and graduate, uh, great athlete, good looking guy. The ladies loved him. I hated hanging out with him. I was always watching him, but he was a nerd. He was in the books. He was, he was so, he was an expert and he was so smart. I wanted to be around him because I knew I could, you know, taste a little bit of, of, of his success and, and, and model his example. So don't be afraid listeners. If you, if, if you, if you're afraid of being around others that are better than you, then that's an insecurity. Capitalize on it. Bring them around you. I mean, a guy like you who's so successful, what he does, John, all the all the trials and tribulations and your skill on the platform. I have a saying, make your friends your mentors and your mentors your friends. So I had a ton of mentors who were 
much better in the fighter pilot world than me. I befriended them, got better because of them. And uh, uh, I think we, we, need to, we need to have that context as we approach life and relationships. You had a dream also. You, you seem like a very goal-oriented guy. Your dream was ultimately to sit in the cockpit and fly the F-16. What was it about the F-16 that you found so attractive? So first and foremost, it's a fighter, right? If I didn't get to fly the F-16, I would have flown an A-10 or an F-15. Like I'm a pretty intense guy. I'm kind of like a light switch. If I'm not working, I'm taking a nap or listening to music. But when I'm when I'm in the cockpit, when I'm hopefully being interviewed on time on target now, when I'm on stage, I'm in sports, I'm in it to win it. I want to win. I prepare, I put in the time, I sacrifice. And so I wanted to go to the academy. The Air Force Academy to me wasn't just about becoming an officer. It was being around great men and women and challenging myself. When you're challenged, you've got to be willing to skin your knees and, and, uh, and make some mistakes and fail. To graduate was a big deal. And I'm like, now I have the chance to fly jets. Why would I want to play it safe and fly a tanker? Nothing wrong with a tanker or a C-17, a transport. But to me, it was like, be bored out of your mind and fly around like an airline pilot or take advantage of the opportunity to fly the coolest jet in the world, single seat, single engine F-16. As I'll soon share with you about some of my challenges, it was a very hard decision, even though I still wanted to fly the F-16, I had an impediment in my way uh, that I was able to overcome and it, and it shadowed and paled in comparison to my anxiety of a fear of heights. And I just mm. mentioned it, it was my claustrophobia. You know, so I'm reading in your book and then following your career, when I learned about your fear of claustrophobia and how, how dramatically it affected you, it reminded me of a great movie that came out in 86 or 87, probably influenced your career in your life, Top Gun. Right. And one of the opening scenes is a fighter pilot named Cougar uh, gets so nervous, so scared that he almost crashes and then ultimately retires from flying. Right, right. You had a very similar experience. It wasn't the same cause as Cougar, but it was a similar type of deal. And yours takes, takes the origin story takes you back to the Caribbean. You're already a, a pilot, but you had an experience not in the air, but underwater. Would you, would you take us through that? Three years into my flying career, I, I, went, to, I went to the Caribbean with a, a couple of uh, folks I graduated uh, pilot training with. They were avid scuba divers, and I'd never been scuba diving before. How, how hard could it be? You wear a mask. I wear a mask, flying jets all the time. You go in the water, you swim around, hang out with the fish, come up, have a beer, you're done. Five seconds into the water, I was wishing I paid a little more attention to the mission briefing, right? Because I was flailing like an idiot, uh, improper technique. I'm using my arms instead of my legs. I'm not very comfortable in the water to begin with. I start sinking in the water 20, 30, 40 feet. My mask malfunctions and I inhale a whole lungful of salt water. Felt like my lungs were going to explode. Burning. Uh, I, I started to choke into the mask, uh, was seeing stars, got lightheaded became a little hypoxic in my opinion. And then I had, that's when I had this panic attack. I'm like, I got to get out of this water now. I'm going to die. I, I thought I was going to die. It was the worst panic attack I'd ever had in my life. And I'd never had one before that. Right. I didn't know what, what I was experiencing, John. And so I gave the universal sign of get me up, said, you know, I'm never doing that again. It was nice while it lasted, but I am done scuba diving. Well, three or four days later, we're back home flying uh, a, a cross country training mission 
thunderstorms, lightning, uh, clouds everywhere. I couldn't see the sun. I couldn't see the ground. And we were socked in to the weather. It's like flying through mushroom soup, they call it. I start feeling anxious again. Mm. I got lightheaded, hypoxic. I looked down at the oxygen. I'm like, there's something wrong with the oxygen. I got to land this plane. But I realized there was nothing wrong with the plane, but there was everything wrong with me. And I had the same panic attack that I had just a few days prior. But instead of being, you know, 35,000 or 35 feet in the water, now I'm 35,000 feet in the air. Panic attack, get me out of this plane. I was actually with another pilot. And I go cold mic so he can't hear me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like breathing heavy, freaking out. And he, he's kind of looking at me, he couldn't hear me. And, and, and I'm ready to jump out of this plane. Another 45 minutes later, we landed, we had another leg to go in that, in that sortie. And so for the next eight, eight or so years of my flying career, every time I strapped it to the jet, I had this demon, this, this, this uh, enemy of fear that threatened to paralyze my ability to fly. And I, I can't tell you how difficult it was to be willing to fly a night training mission. This is before I flew F-16s though, before, as I was an instructor, one hour missions flying in America. It would still attack me and I was able to work through it. But there were times when I came back just like Cougar did with these wings in my hand. I said, that's it, I'm done. Why am I going through this? And with a little self-talk, a little positive motivation and just saying one more day, Walter, just try it one more time. It, It got easier and easier and easier. And by the time, you know, I got into the squadron. I put these wings on and just said, just give it one more time, Waldo. Just, just don't give up yet. Don't quit. And the scars and, and, and fears, you know, bubbled up, but, but I, I broke through them. I, 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 uh, I became more resilient and it gave me the strength and courage, not just to fly F-16s, but then to make the choice to fly the F-16 and face my fears even, even more. When you landed after that first panic attack, did you share with the guy flying with you or anybody else what you just experienced? No. Talk about that. Why not? I didn't want any of them to know that I was suffering through this because if you have a really serious anxiety and phobia, you potentially could lose your wings. Yeah. If it was impacting my ability to fly safely, if I was a detriment to the formation and to myself, if I wasn't able to break through that fear and still perform, not only did I have a right or a duty, I had an obligation and a responsibility to say, I am a detriment. I am a safety factor. I need to get help, need counseling or take my wings away. So there were times when I considered it, but I was able to perform despite the fear. I became instructor pilot of the year, number one out of 308 other pilots. No one knew that Waldo Wobble was dealing with these fears and anxieties because I was able to channel them and focus on my job. I'll share some of those techniques here in a moment. And, and part of courage and, and dealing with fear and being a peak performer isn't to be fearless. I disagree wholeheartedly. We're all going to have those fears. It's once again, diminishing those fears and then elevating your courage, elevating your mindset, your self-talk, your fitness, your health, relationships, et cetera. I read books on it. I meditated. I, I, I prayed. I, I saw my, my rabbi, et cetera. It was a personal battle that I had to go through and, and, and break through the other side because nobody else could do it for you. You, you mentioned in passing like ho-hum. 
out of 308 instructors leading and building up this Air Force, I, I ended up being number one. It, it's my understanding, Waldo, that part of the reason for that, yes, your natural good looks and your whimsical nature and your intelligence and all this stuff, but really going through all of that stuff, the reason why you became the number one is because to move through the fear, you made your focus less about what it was, how it was impacting you and more about how you could positively influence some other young pilot right behind you. Roger that. Can you so talk about that? So this is this is probably the most important part of the podcast because you know people say deal with your fears face your fears right uh, you could do it take the risk but you're like well how do you do it how do right. you shift your mind and you know this personally John with all the struggles and fears that you went through especially as a nine year old boy right because it, it was that journey and I, and I love I love the, the context when your mother had that conversation with you you know do you want to live you know and it made you think about why you wanted to live. People are flying blind. They're flying by the seat of their pants. They're kind of, uh, there's a chapter in my book, Tumbleweed, right? Just a, mm -hmm. a tumbleweed in Texas or Oklahoma, just being blown by the winds. There's no direction. There's no context and vector. You need a driver, a true north to push you forward. The first thing you need to do is distract yourself from yourself. When you distract yourself from yourself, you're no longer focused on the biggest detriment to success and the biggest you know, motivated success, which is our mind, our brains, right? So if you're in that moment of anxiety and fear and doubt, you've got to focus on something else. So I call it turning your fear into focus. First, focus on the win, right? Think of how great you're going to feel when you break through that marathon, break through that combat mission, jump off that diving board, give that speech, savor the flavor, envision the victory in your mind, right? It's going to feel great. You're going to break through that other side and vision it, right? Number two, focus on your team. Focus on who needs you to win. Who is going to be impacted if you fail or succeed? So for me, as an instructor and as a flight lead in combat, I had folks depending on me. Think about when people are dependent on you, I'm flying in Iraq, seven hour night mission. I'm like, oh, I got to do this. I've got this young guy or gal on my wing. I'm going to lead him or her through battle and they're going to trust me. I'm going to be focused on her. And if I'm distracted and getting myself into her cockpit and encouraging her and pushing her along and being there for him or her, man, suddenly you're like, this feels good to lead. And if not me, who? I have a responsibility. That's the word, responsibility. And so many people are, or, or think it's all about passion. Passion's important, but responsibility trumps passion any day of the week. You're a father of four kids, right, John? When your wife or, or you, for that matter, were having a bad day, and your your when your children were babies, you know, a year old or six months old, did you or your wife say, uh, "You know what? I'm just not feeling the passion of changing diapers or feeding our kids today." I'm just not feeling the passion. Kids, I'm going to have a martini or a, or a cup of Starbucks. You guys just figure it out. No, you do the work because it's your responsibility. And when somebody's inspiring you and being there for you to encourage you, and but it sure as heck feels good to have a wingman or a wingmam who you trust, who you know is going to have your back. So they dissipate your fear. Mm. Doesn't make it go away. But you being the wingman or wingman for others and helping them and then also having others who you can turn to for help, who are coaching you, guiding you, inspiring you, kicking your butt, 
pushing you off that diving board because they believe in you more than you do yourself. That, that is the key. And the only way you get there is by taking the time to, to build those relationships, by giving your wings away now. You're healthy, you're doing great in business and life, serve, help others out. You know this, John, you do it all the time. And then you have a team, a whole plethora of people. When God forbid you're in the dungeon of life, dealing with your panic attacks or whatever it is, your quote unquote claustrophobia issues, then it's like, man, I could take this step. You mentioned that, well, the very first thing you got to do, John, is focus on the win. Focus on the win. For you, it was clear as a pilot, as an instructor, as a leader within the Air Force. For the rest of us listening to the podcast today, for the nurses and the teachers and the parents and the single folks and the retirees and the grandparents, and just as we move through life, all of us, we're busy and we're doing the best we can, but not all of us have clarity around what the win is. So Waldo, how do I, and then how do our listeners get clear on what the win is? That's the first question. You got to start doubling down on what brings you joy. And joy comes in the most unbeknownst places, like the places where you may not think it does. Some of us think that money is going to bring joy or, uh, you know, winning in, in baseball. I, I don't know, what, what, whatever it is. I played softball. We lost. We got our butts kicked yesterday. I didn't have a lot of joy. Uh, I didn't have a lot of joy when I uh, had this dinky little pop out when I was up. But the second time I had joy. Joy is a byproduct of, of when you're putting effort in and, and you practice and sweat and train. And it's a validation of that hard work. And it's a beautiful thing. When, when you're seeking joy, you find more meaning in what it is in your life. You achieve joy, but when you read a story and, and look at somebody like you who's gone through the, the crucible, literally and figuratively, of life, you know, experiencing such trauma and chaos, and you create this empathy and appreciation and thankfulness and gratitude that I didn't have to go through that. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, you went through your crucible literally being burnt and disfigured as a child. And, and the pains and horrors that I dealt through, my claustrophobia and other things that I don't share publicly, my personal trials and tribulations, which guess what? We all have, you know, that's where resilience comes from. That's where meaning comes from. That's where example comes from, because you with confidence and credibility can be such an example to your children, to your spouse, to your clients, because you went through it. You went through it, and that's the gift that you give the world, John, and the gift that I give in my own way of being Mr. Fighter Pilot Top Gun, facing my fears, going on these seven-hour night combat missions, facing the, not only the missiles, but the claustrophobia, and then coming out the other side with a newfound sense of purpose and meaning in life, which truly brings joy. Uh, it's not what keeps us up at night that's as important as what gets us out of bed. What keeps us up at night is fear-focused. But what gets you out of bed or your children is the win, the victory, who you're going to help, the impact that you're going to make, the victories that you're going to have over things outside of yourself, and most importantly, the things that are inside yourself. You mentioned those you're going through, how to break free from that claustrophobia, whatever that thing might be for all of us, is not only to focus on the win, but to focus on the team, focus on the team. So Waldo, the question is, according to Cigna, before COVID, it's gotten worse since COVID, by the way, but before COVID, 64% of us felt as if we were doing life by ourselves. Right. We were in the cockpit, single seat, nobody's behind us and no one's two or three or nine. We're completely by ourselves. 
So speak to the folks right now who represent the majority of our listeners who feel as if they are doing life by themselves. How, how do we how do we break free of that? How do we ex- expand and uh, enrich our bench so we have a larger team to focus on? When she ran the Red Cross, Elizabeth Dole said, I didn't wait for the rivers to flood before I built relationships. Many people are dealing with some of the rigmaroles and, and challenges of life right now solo because they haven't invested the time when things are going well to reach out and nurture relationships within the community. And I'm not making a blanket judgment here because a lot of folks have, but I think there's always somebody to build a relationship with. There's always somebody who's hurting more than you, who you can help, who you can coach, you can volunteer for, who you can do a podcast with and and build a relationship with. Some people feel bad about taking or asking because they feel that it's selfish. I wanna give you a context of building a team of people in your life. Ask with honor or take with honor. Mm. Meaning if you find somebody like me or John or somebody in your community who is a better top gun than you, who has more courage, who emulates more success, who's a better husband or spouse, who, 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 who you admire and want to learn from, then ask and you shall receive. Ask with honor, politely, humbly, with, with respect. And take your mask off and be vulnerable and build a relationship with that person. Most people who are quote unquote successful have no problem giving their wings away and helping because they know they're standing on the backs of giants as well. So you, but you do it with honor by maintaining and respecting that person, but then also by obviously paying it forward. On the ladder of life, you gotta have a hand up. Put your hand up a rung or two above and say, somebody help me, lift me up. But the problem is we forget to have the hand down as well. And on that ladder, so start lifting people up in the process what I try to do and what I tried to do a lot, especially in the beginning of COVID, when fear and uncertainty and doubt threatened our business, we didn't do these virtual things, we were panicked, all the gigs were being canceled and the world turned upside down, is I would, I would, I would, I would think of who needs me now. Mm. Get out of your head and say, okay, I don't know the answer today. I'm struggling, I'm maybe angry, I'm anxious. Who can I help? Write a, write a newsletter, inspirational newsletter, reach out to somebody or a client or a friend and say, hey, this is what I'm good at. How could I help you and your constituents? What, what do you need from me? And then suddenly joy comes because you're blessing others with your encouragement, with your help. Doesn't mean that you're not lost. Doesn't mean that you're not having some bad issues but it'll distract yourself from your fear and it'll bring joy in life. And that is the blessing once again of COVID. We're, we're flying COVID combat. We don't know when the, when the war is gonna end. That's the feeling of the war. Like when you're out there flying these missions and you come back and, or well, we were supposed to go home next week, but now it looks like next month. Mm-hmm. We don't know when it's gonna end. And we've gotta be used to flying in this environment and it's a blessing and a curse, but it's more of a blessing because now we're like, what's really important in life? smelling that flower, petting my dog, spending that quiet time with my son or daughter, getting into some sports, uh, meditating, 
appreciating the blessings of our life even though we may not be making more money suddenly the the uh, the joy meter went up more with a lot less money coming in without a doubt our cruise lines were affected airlines were affected hotels were affected and motivational speakers were absolutely affected <laughs> during the during covid uh, the crisis there were a couple of things though while you were sharing i wrote down and then i want to share with you a couple other quotes from your book that i wrote down but three words that Waldo loves. Here they are. You may want to write them down, friends and family and listeners. Here they are. Number one, I need help. This is coming to you, by the way, from a fighter pilot, from a guy who's flown 65 combat missions and was the number one trainer in the United States Air Force, able to humble himself to share these three words and maybe remind you that you may need them as well. Here they are again. I need help. That's courage in that. And the second thing I wrote down is, yeah. And who needs me now? Who needs me now? So for those of us who are bored by life or we're beat down by life, there's a powerful way to pivot from stop navel gazing and looking at how miserable our own lot is and start looking beyond that reflection. Okay. Who needs me now? Who needs me now? Waldo, great reminders. And you also wrote about kind of playing off this a little bit in your book. Uh, I wrote down about 17 different quotes. I won't read them all to you right now because we'll run out of time. But here's probably my favorite. You can't coach the uncommitted. You can't coach the uncommitted. What does that mean to you? Commitment is freedom because once you commit, you no longer have the option of all the other choices. The challenges come when you have so much to choose from. Like if I'm, if you're single and, and not committed, when I became married and this ring came on my finger and I put it on my wife, I was fully committed. And I was now free because I didn't have to worry about all the other choices. There's only one choice, only one decision to make, only one honorable way to act. There's only one way to be loyal. And so when you fully commit, when you step off that diving board, there's no turning back. When you push up the throttle, yeah, if you remember, push it up is, is what we do in the Air Force when you're flying, this, you're flying <laughs> in that jet and John, you're on my wing and we're going, get ready to we cross the forward edge of the battle area. And boom, as soon as we cross it, I say, John, commit, commit, meaning push it up. We're going to full power. We're going master arm hot. We're going after the enemy, baby. And there's no turning back. That is commitment. Commitment means you're free. <laughs> there's no turning back. And it's a beautiful thing. And most people are philosophically committed or, 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 or they say they are, but the actions aren't incumbent in it. The folks that are listening today who, who, who listen to John's podcast, or maybe you've listened for the first time, notice he knew everything about my background. He read the book. He's courageous and confident on this podcast because he did the work. He's committed to doing the work. And you have to look at the work that you're doing. If you're committed to the diet, are you drinking the green smoothies? Are you having, are you, are you working out? If you're committed to growth and building a better relationship with your partner, are you committed to losing battles to win wars and knowing when to shut up, say mm -hmm. nothing, an important lesson, right? If you're truly committed to your kids, are, are you going to their softball or, 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 or games or uh, ballerina uh, recitals or whatever? Are you really committed? And so you become free because the choice is made for you. That's just so awesome. And man, I, I could spend another hour with you, Waldo, and someday I think we will. 
Uh, we have seven questions that tether all of our guests together. They're called the Live Inspired Seven. Before we we buckle in and get ready to push it forward and pull back on on, uh, on the stick, the final quote that I wrote down that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about because it seems to fly in the face of the way many of us live is this. Your comfort zone sounds like a very good thing. You write, your comfort zone is your danger zone. Tell me about that. So we saw the movie, you know, Top Gun, you know, I flew, I went into the danger zone, whatever. And so the danger zone is when you think you got it all. Flew last night, kicked butt, spoke last week, everything went great. I'm just kind of going to wing it a little bit today. I'm going to ride that high. I'm not going to put in the time to prepare. Done hundreds of these podcasts. You know, I'm just going to skim through all those stuff and kind of get to know them. I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants. Well, wingmen, trusted partners or wing people or wing mams, never wing it, mm. right? The danger zone is when you think you've already arrived. And as we know in life, the, the pinnacle of success is constantly getting higher and higher, right? So we have to enjoy the journey, but knowing that we must put in the time, we must sharpen our sword, we must constantly evolve, continuous growth and continuous development. It doesn't mean you can't rest. You know, God said, uh, you know, God rested on the seventh day, right? And so I always like to say, well, he rested on the seventh day, which meant he worked his tail off the six others and he worked. He pulled the, pulled the, the weeds out and, and made, the, made, made us in his image and, and, did, and created the universe. And that took an awful lot of work. <laughs> we must toil. We must work. We're going to get some calluses. But I also have a saying, pain leads to peace. When you go through the pain, the struggles, the growth, make it through the fire, literally and figuratively, like you know, John, you will gain peace in your life because you knew you, you, you conquered yourself, you set the example, you built the resilience, and you've earned your wings. And that's what confidence and courage is about. And when you can do it by helping others, man, it's a recipe for success. You and I both know it's a journey. Anybody listening, there's wonderfully successful people listening who know that they need to take the next level. And there's others that are struggling. Tomorrow's a new day and a new jet. You're strapping in. You have the opportunity to make a huge difference. But uh, if you got, if you work, have some great wingmen and have faith, the, the world is your proverbial oyster and you can reach new heights and kick some serious tail in, in, in the world. Well, brother, I want to thank you for being part of our program and now guide you. I'm sitting right behind you, but we're going to go into the seven questions together. No, uh -oh. uh -oh. get your oxygen mask on. And here we're no. going to begin climbing. Waldo, what is the best or most influential book you've ever read? How to Win Friends and Influence People. I read it I, I, when I first got out of the military about relationships, saying people's names, courage. It was absolutely beautiful. If you haven't read it, folks, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's my next book I want my son to start reading mm. as well. You're the second person today to drop that book title yeah. on me. The first was a guy named Ken Coleman. He was live with Dave Ramsey when someone called in and just kind of sucker punched Dave unfairly. And uh, after Dave responded with this brilliant, beautiful answer, Ken Coleman said, you know, listener, you may want to check out this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, so tell me and tell our listeners maybe why you want your son to read that book. What is it about that book that, you know, you have it the top of your reading list and you want your son to read it next? 
because it really is about relationships and getting to know people from the inside out. My son, he's, a, he's an only child. I don't have many regrets in life, uh, but the one, if it is a regret, is that we didn't have more. I, I, I dodged the marriage missile for 42 years and my wife shot me down and, uh, and, and we're very happily married. But we were, we were older and we, we were blessed with one son. We, and so anyway, I kind of wish he had one. And, and for, for a couple of years, he was like, I want a brother and a sister. And we just never did that. And I said, Ace, if you want to have more brothers and sisters, you, have, you can just be a good friend to as many people as you can. That book, the stories that he, he emulates and shares, it, it, it's just an, a tremendous book. And it, it's how to win more friends. And when you have friends and they trust you, they believe in you, they like you. Uh, that's a conduit to success in life. It doesn't alleviate your the critical importance of you showing up, being prepared, being meaning I had a lot of friends in the Air Force, but there were some guys and gals that I didn't feel comfortable flying with, that they weren't paying attention to the briefing or, or winging it. That's beautiful and, and accurate. So uh, question number two, Waldo, what is one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little kid growing up in New York that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I was kind of like a class clown. I did very well in school, but my twin brother and I were always like doing silly, stupid things, kind of getting in trouble a lot, you know, and uh, teachers loved us, but they also were like these, 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 the Waldman twins are, uh, are a pain in the butt. I kind of wish I had more of a sense of silliness and did more stupid things. And like, like my son, like he enjoys doing silly stuff with me and he brings it out in me, which is the blessing of children. But uh, I, I think I've kind of lost that, especially being in, in combat and war and, and uh, be, I, I could be a little too serious sometimes. So that, that childlike joy yeah. and silliness is something that I probably could work on. Well, brother, I, I wrote a book called In Awe, How to Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder, which will launch you into joy. I'm going to send you a copy because I, I think it's not too late to return to joy. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. If, if your home caught fire and your bride and your son and your dog and everybody's out safe and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one thing you would go back and save? Oh, God, you know, it probably would be my hard drive <laughs> that has all my videos and background and all that stuff, you know, because it's my 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 uh, the foundation like it's get would be hard to reproduce that, yeah. but they could take the photos. Uh, uh, although it would suck and everything else, uh, the, the, the cash that I've got hidden somewhere else. Um, because I, I honestly believe that we're all meeting together at the end of the day, we're all going to meet all this stuff. The physicality is just, is just, you know, it's cold on our back. It's just going to be gone. Uh, but I would like to have, I probably have the hard drive. That's the first thing that popped up. Get out. Okay. I can build my business. Yeah, got, back up with it. The know? apples in my arms. Let's go. All right, buddy. If you could sit on a bench and well, how about you? If you could sit in a two person cockpit and have a perfect flight with anybody living or dead, who would you want to be buckled in with? Oh man, that's a tough one. So my twin brother never had a chance to fly with me. So, so I would want him to go in there and experience that experience flying in, in an F-16 with me. Hmm. Yeah. That was the question, right? Who would I want to be? Exactly in? the question. Yeah, yeah. And, he, he, yeah, he. It would be, it would be amazing. It's so often the answers are historical icons. I always am moved though when you hear a guest share, you know, my brother, 
my, my son, my dad, my neighbor, like just the ordinary folks that uh, maybe in the race through life, we don't take quite enough time for. So I, I just love the fact that you are buckled in right now, flying your brother and having a cool conversation with my him. son. Is, my son loves aviation and stuff. He's like, well, I don't want to fly. I don't want to get in the air. I just want to work on planes and the life <laughs> engineering stuff. He would freak out and have a panic attack if I popped him in one. But he'll he be, be more like your grandfather. He'll be more like his grandfather, maybe a mechanic at JFK. Yes, what, what's the best advice your dad, your mom, or anybody else ever gave you? So I, I mentioned it before. You know, I like do it right the first time. I don't do it at all. Even put it in my academy ring. But he was always said, you know, be careful who you spend time with on the weekends. Who are your friends? You know, oh, he's always monitoring my friends and who we spend time with. And I, I, I'm telling you, my dad was, was hardcore. He's 92 years old. He's still walking around, running around. I love him so much. The relationships and the friendships that he taught me to be cognizant of, and that's helped my life. And I don't have a lot of friends, but I've got a few extremely close ones. What advice would you whisper into your 20-year-old self? So if you could go back in time and kind of whisper a little bit of wisdom to yourself, what would you say? You're on the right path. Take that road less travel. Can do the road less travel. Don't take the easy way out, right? It, you, it'll be worth it in the long run. The, it, things are going to work out. Just keep working, believing. And and if you if you face, face those fears, right? Because I, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't, we wouldn't be where we're at today. Most successful would, people would be if we didn't take that leap, make the decision, the hard decision. Uh, and I would just double down on that faith in, in him and just say, it's going to work out. Lieutenant Colonel Rob Waldo Waldman, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? He gave people wings to fly. Cool that a guy who is a best-selling author and a successful business leader and a powerful voice on stages around the world and the father of one and the husband of another and all these other accomplishments that he could brag on for himself has decided that his one statement is he has given others wings so that they can fly. Waldo, I want to thank you for giving those wings. I want to thank you for encouraging us to stay on Vector and to continue boldly recognizing it is not easy, but the foundation is firm and better days are ahead. Thank you, John, and thank you for being an example and an inspiration to me. You, you help so many others out, and it's great to uh, talk to somebody who uh, who's truly yearning their wings and, and who's a humble, compassionate, great leader like you, and I look forward to getting to know you better as well. Well, my friends, that is Rob Waldo Waldman, the author of Never Fly Solo. My name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live and fly inspired. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Lieutenant Colonel Waldo Waldman as much as I did. There were two things that really stuck out to me from John and his conversation. First, how he calls himself a courage monger, a champion for those who want to take action in their lives when feeling debilitated by fear, doubt, and uncertainty. It's so important in today's marketplace to lift others up and encourage them to take the next right step. Second, the idea of asking with honor and taking with honor. As we know, building a support system reduces isolation and depression and anxiety and everything that comes along with those. So don't be afraid to humbly ask someone you admire for advice, support, or encouragement. And of course, when it's your turn to return the favor to them or to someone else, do so with respect and admiration. 
If you enjoyed hearing from a military hero, you'll love our military and first responder playlist. From former U.S. Secret Service Special Agent Evie Pomporis to Apollo 13's Captain Jim Lavelle, you're not going to want to miss John discuss life, love, and service with these American heroes. Visit JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash podcast to access this playlist. Again, that's John O'Leary Inspires dot com forward slash podcast. My hometown of St. Louis is an awesome baseball town. For those of you who know my story, you know that story. You know the impact of the St. Louis Cardinals and Jack Buck and baseball on my life. You also know it's a phenomenal hockey town. And for those who have read the book On Fire or know the impact of the St. Louis Blues, not only in this community, but also on a little boy named John O'Leary, you know that it's a hockey town as well. What you may not know is the town keeps expanding. We are now, drumroll please, a soccer town as well. That's right. We've been a soccer town for a while, but now it's official with MLS moving to St. Louis. And our friends at Keeley Companies are proud construction partners in building the new stadium, downtown St. Louis, focusing on applying their extensive building experience, their commitment to developing, and then implementing a successful workforce development with diversity inclusion. Keeley Companies CEO and my friend Rusty Keeley said this, We are honored to be part of the project of creating a positive legacy in St. Louis. Learn more about that project and other projects going on at Keeley Companies by visiting them right now online at keeleycompanies.com. 